we are recording. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name's Mel, and uh, this is my friend Anna. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mel's friend Anna. <laughs> so here we are sitting in my lounge room slash Chinese laundry slash tea house. Mm, all the good things. It's Sunday morning here in the Barossa. Anna and I have just gone for a delicious walk in the ice cold wind outside. Um, this is a podcast we've been talking about doing for a very long time. Is it not? Yeah. Because every conversation we have. Does everyone do this? Does, I, I feel like every everyone in the world that has a really good friend that they go walking with turns to each other and goes... We should, we should do a podcast, right? <laughs> I don't like, know, do they? I don't know. I think it's just me and my friends, and I'm now going to make a podcast out of But we my have best amazing revelations. We do. We yeah. walk, and we just say what's on our minds or what's been happening, and there's always like an epiphany or a like an awakening or an awareness or a shift yeah. in the conversation. Yeah. So, you know, why not share it with a bunch of strangers? <laughs> But are going to be our friends soon enough. Right. <laughs> so why do you think that happens? Why do you think we're able to have a walk and talk and have these revolutionary moments? There has been no foreplay here. I am diving straight, <laughs> <laughs> straight into the good stuff. Story of my life. No. It's just a... <laughs> we don't need to get into Episode my sex life yet. Two. <laughs> um, I think it's... Partly, literally, the idea of motion. Oh, okay. I think there's there's a theory about... A friend was telling me about how for men it can be really useful because they don't necessarily like um, face-to-face. I am your friend. This is... I was telling you this. What, was it you? Yeah. <laughs> I'd just come back no, from the talk on... The mental health talk. That's right. Mm. And then uh, another lovely friend of mine in the city who was good friends with Jordan Mm. had talked about how he was aware of this. So he would walk, he would walk Mm. with his mate um, to have heavier conversations because Mm. it means you don't have to be looking at each other. There's less confrontation. Yeah, you know more about it than I do. (laughs) Um, But like, I think there is something in that theory, like the idea of moving your body being in fresh air and oxygen um, and just like letting it pour out as you walk. It's like an external, yeah, like just letting the thoughts out rather than them cycling around in your head. You just get places a lot quicker when you say it out loud, I think. Yeah. Um, I think also that's something to do with the movement and the walking. Like I know that you and I, we often walk together to have these revolutionary moments, but we also like walking on our own and just having that space and time to just process and think and maybe it's even talking to ourselves. But yeah. quite often in those solo that's walks true. We come back and we're like, Oh, that's what that was or Yeah. Insert revolutionary moment here. So the message is just walk. Yeah. <laughs> Get out there. People walk. Just I hope you're walk. walking while you're listening to us. Yeah. Um, and if you're driving, please pull over and walk to the next destination. <laughs> <laughs> so I've invited my friend Anna on today to talk about our revolutionary moments, but also 
We've only got one podcast. <laughs> We've only got one podcast. We have to get it all out in the next 50 minutes, okay? I forgot my list. <laughs> I don't have a list. Um, to talk about... What's the best word you want to put on it? I mean, you and I know what we want to talk about, but how do we want to... Um, the big D. Ooh. <laughs> big D energy. Big D energy. And by D, we mean... One, two, three... Death! Oh, Oh, yeah, that D. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, death. So, um, Anna has has got a pretty interesting journey when it comes to death, which is definitely a morbid thing to say if you don't know Anna, but we're going to enlighten you along the way. Um, Definitely done a lot for my dating life. (laughs) Big D energy. (laughs) Tinder profile. <laughs> Have you got that big D energy? Really, <laughs> really down death. with death. Yeah. Ooh. Is that show number two? Um, yeah. And it has this really interesting journey and fascination with death and grief. And part of Anna's mission at the moment is to open the conversation around death and grief and what it means for people. Hmm. Can you give the people... A little background about all of this. Yeah, sure. Don't know where it started, but I think um, I was fascinated by the concept of death from a very early age. Um, What's your earliest memory of death? Um, oh, good question. That's not in my quick questions for the end, by right. the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, my granddad, who I was very close to he passed away when I was four and I remember the day of his funeral um my observations of everyone and the feeling you know I'm a bit of a an emotional sponge I was feeling everyone's energy and watching what was happening and and apparently my sister has told me since that I was asking a lot of questions Quite audibly at <laughs> the burial, mm-hmm. um, which she thought was quite hilarious at the time. Um, but I think, you know, like that's one of my earliest memories of the presence of death and grief. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think for me personally, the the experience of grief, I think I had an awareness of it without consciously being aware of it as Mm -hmm. in I was feeling the grief in our family before I was kind of really consciously aware as a kid of even what Um, that energy was because there was death present um I had a cousin that I never knew um who uh was very young and died of bone cancer in a time when you know treatment for a child with bone cancer was not available and it was very cruel. And I, and I know from talking to my family that the experience of that really weighed heavily on everyone in the family, aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone felt the weight of that journey because it was pretty horrific. Yeah. Um, and I think being brought up in a very religious environment mm-hmm how I interpreted this idea of death, it blew my 
brain apart from a very early age and I couldn't stop asking questions about it and I wasn't happy with the answers I was getting. I was going to say, could you give a little example as to what that religious background, what the process was for death in that situation? Set some context. Yeah, um, I think... So it's uh, it's a wing, a very specific wing of Christianity, mm-hmm. and um, we won't go into like yep. my opinions on that because no, no, no. I, I see how it serves people, um, and how it can be a really wonderful thing in people's lives. For me, I felt like there were very set ideas of um, of God and um, what. God's role was and what my role was by arriving on the planet and that there were consequences for everything um, and that there was this dude in the sky that was keeping a really close watch <laughs> on me and everyone at the same time mm-hmm. and you know every move I made every thought I had was getting like a tick or a cross next mm-hmm. to it and it terrified me um, And my observations of how our religion approached death and grief was very... (sighs) There was a tight framework around it, as in you could grieve for a certain period of time. There were places that you could grieve and there were other places that you did not share that. Generally, you didn't share your experience of grief with anyone. That was your private experience. Yeah, it was extremely filtered. Yeah. Um, I felt like there was a lot of weight, a lot of shame around any uh, anything that fell outside of the box of how you were allowed to grieve. There was shame around it. Um, and shame is a really great technique for keeping people in line yeah it also makes you this four-year-old asking all these questions that voice really loud when all of the other adults in the room are carrying this shame yeah yeah those questions are deafening yeah yeah um so i think it started it was there already and um you know i think uh i was exposed to death quite early on through um, losing family members, as in grandparents, that kind of thing, Um, and seeing my grandmother after she'd passed away um, and being fascinated by, you know, so that was when I was eight, maybe, Um, and sitting with this vessel, this body, without her energy being there anymore and going what is this like this is not this is not my grandma what is going on um i think that stayed with me i think that led to a greater curiosity um as a teenager was very interested in uh i did a lot of like research of my own back um on death culture around the world and how people did death celebrated yeah how they celebrate it how they Uh, And, you know, like looking at ritual, which is, I think, is a really key component, the benefit of ritual around death and grieving. Um, 
And then when I was 20, I applied for a job that I saw advertised <laughs> to um, be an undertaker. <laughs> this is a little, uh, my own little antidote on this. I think Anna and I were on one of our walks and Anna's like just randomly dropped into conversation. Yeah, like I, was, I worked as an undertaker for a while and then like deviated into her story and I was like, sorry, what? You know, that's not something that you just brush over. Like what 20 year old do we know just goes off and <laughs> applies and gets a job as an undertaker? Yeah. You may continue your story. <laughs> um, as if my friend Anna couldn't get any cooler. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, really cool to be telling people that people did not react well at, when I was in my 20s. God, and and they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, uh, I work for a morgue. I see dead people. You just literally, <laughs> I see dead people literally multiple times a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of like people stepping back, like their physical, their body language would change straight away. Like, ooh, I don't want to be too close to you. And even that, like just observing how uncomfortable we are like you spend your day with dead people i without people consciously being aware of it they step back like their body language changes we are so uncomfortable in our culture with the presence of death um do you think that's this is sort of going to deviate a little bit you know we communicate very much in a world at the moment that wants to help and fix and so quite often when we're talking to people, we're talking to respond and give a solution mm-hmm. rather than just listen and be at peace with what the person is sort of saying. Yes. And so when all of a sudden you talk about death, oh, I don't, I don't know. Oh, I don't know what to do here. So which is, it's like that pullback. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't, oh no, I can't do this. Yeah. Rather I- than... I mean, both being uncomfortable with it and not being able to fix or know what to do with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of, maybe we can kind of like loop back to this because I think it's one of the things that even just what I, what we were talking about over coffee this morning, like, you know, being present for something that's happened in the last 48 hours. Yeah. Um, talking to someone who's in the grief space. Um, one of the things that's becoming more and more apparent to me is that we need to embrace the awkwardness, the the um, the unpleasantness, the not knowingness, the not knowing what to say, how to behave. There is no right way, and and the more we can give ourselves compassion and give other people compassion when we're in that space together, the better. Because it's there is no right way. There's there are no words that are just gonna really quite cut it. No. Um, because it's an event that shatters our reality, and it doesn't. It feels like it shouldn't be. It just it just shouldn't be. You yeah. know, in any given moment, um, that's how it feels. Obviously, I do also believe that. It absolutely, I mean, it is, whether we like it or not, it is. Um, but yeah, like really embracing the, the discomfort around it and that you are not alone in that. So you trying to find the right words in a given moment, that is literally everyone's experience. Yeah. Is, and also the idea of just sitting with it rather than having to have the answers, having to have the right thing to say. Um, yeah, um, yes. So 
do I look back? Do you want me to go yeah, yeah, next? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I worked in a morgue. <laughs> <laughs> My job was literally, I was a transfers person. I would collect the deceased from their location of death and I would bring them back to the morgue. Did you have day. to like, pack them up, old. like pack them up and put them on the trolley? And or was that like did the coroner come and help you with that, or was that your role to literally? Uh, no. So coroner is a separate category. So sometimes you would I watch go too much Law and Order. Okay? <laughs> and I don't know what the system is like in other countries, but um, you you always worked in teams. You never work alone. Um, you do the initial, when I say like initial preparations, if it's someone that has passed away in a private residence, um, you will be like wrapping their body um, and very carefully and respectfully transporting that body, like putting it onto a trolley that then gets put in the back of a van. It's very discreet. Um, and you take them back to the morgue and then, you know, you put them in whatever, whatever the, however the morgue operates, like whether it's in a bag or um, sometimes if you were doing, I mean, if you were to do a hospital pickup, sorry if this is like too no, much to no. you um, when I would pick up the deceased from a hospital, like the Royal Adelaide or wherever, they were already in the bag yeah um so that's yeah there's like a different process for according to where you're going or where you're picking them up from and the coroner is a different story again um yeah because there's already been intervention if you've gone to the coroner there's like been some kind of clearance or investigation that needed to take place um so yeah it's it's there's so many different processes. Um, and I don't know, like, this might be really outdated information. It was a while ago now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, some people were preparing for their 21st and I was <laughs> hanging out with dead people. Yeah. And was fascinated. And the thing that really opened my eyes and the thing that I loved most about working there was that I would learn about people in reverse. I would meet this stranger who had transitioned from this world so they don't get to introduce themselves to me. Mm-hmm. I felt incredibly honoured to take care of their body in those hours that followed. And and I and you're looking at this person and you go, who who were you? Yeah. Um, and quite often, like the majority of people that you're picking up are elderly. So there's like a... There's... A lifetime of stories. Oh, literally. a lifetime of stories in this vessel yeah. that I'll never get to know. Yeah. So when you then would get to partake in the funeral, like if if I was helping prepare for a funeral, quite often you would sit in the back of um, if it was a, a funeral service that was happening in a church, um, you would sit up the back during the service, and you would hear their story. And obviously you're getting the very brief version of it, but you're also meeting, you're seeing the people that, that, um, that loved this person. You're getting you all get their context. favorite memories. Yeah, yeah. You get the context of who this person was in the world. 
you hear about them yeah you're learning about them in reverse kind of um and then you felt this i would feel this extraordinary wave of honor like how how lucky i was to look after them in this final this transitional chapter they were in my care and they had this extraordinary life that i never knew about and how lucky i am to have this moment with them um so there was that element that just like blew my mind and also was maybe without me knowing preparing me for a life of like storytelling yeah um but also seeing how different cultures and different religions approach death and how you were allowed to grieve it was very different according to what Mm. what religion even the way you said that, allowed to grieve. Yeah. There are rules to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I. well, it's not like they don't say that. But no, it, no, no. It feels yeah. like that for yeah. sure. Um, and seeing how some cultures would bring the element of joy and celebration and others really repress that. Mm-hmm. And I would, I had certainly been raised with the push everything down (laughs) take on it like let's not let's not get too joyful if there's a hymn being sung it's got to feel heavy yeah let's not let's not have any uh you know major notes in this (laughs) yeah you can't you can't show joy in any moment god forbid you have a moment of joy god forbid a baby farts in the middle of a funeral it's funny. Somebody farting is yeah, funny. Yeah. But no, there's like this like horror around um, around any moments, any any funny things that happen, any um, weird things that happen. Like yeah. weird shit happens all the time. Death doesn't. Nothing stops. No, we're creating no weird things, no yeah. weird shit. Thank yeah. you. For the joy, next, no nothing. Yeah. yeah. For the next three weeks, no funny business. No. I think you'd appreciate this. The funeral that I went, I went to a funeral last year in the town that we live in. Uh-huh. Um, and the wife was wearing this beautiful white fur jacket and the nieces were wearing these beautiful sparkling dresses to the <sighs> funeral. Yeah. And there was so much joy. There was mm. so much sadness and heartbreak, but there was so much joy mm. happening at exactly the same time. And it was such a beautiful ceremony yeah Mm. which is what i believe it should be absolutely it should absolutely resonate and ring with their energy yeah so whatever they brought to the table in this world like bring it like celebrate that um so yeah so that was kind of my introduction to it and and then i and then you know i also realized i was 21 Mm. and i was pretty I wasn't really leaning into the things that 21-year-olds kind of do as a rite of passage. Wasn't partying enough. Like, and I, was, I, I was missing that. And also going, I'm getting pretty heavy for a 21-year-old. I think I need to step away from this for a while. Yeah. And so I decided to leave that career. <laughs> um, and then got on with, you know, other things. What's your other passion? So you are... You kind of mentioned it. I mean, the arts is 
my joy. It is the world to me. It is my medicine between theatre, film, music. I mean, they are the components that mm -hmm. keep me alive. Um, and yes, and I also realised very quickly that I'll only experience this one life in this body. Mm. So how can I pack in as many different lives, other people's lives as possible? Yeah. So acting was a natural appeal because, you know, and maybe on a subconscious level was also me avoiding <laughs> having to be me yep. in the world. Um, Ooh. Yeah, there's definitely that. Yep. There's the, the discomfort of self and therefore like funnel all of my energy into exploring other people's lives um is that a common theme in acting do you think i don't know genuinely do not know mm. um but that's i i acknowledge that in yep. myself um i think it's changed a lot but certainly at that time i was like yeah i just anything that would help me not have to address me yeah <laughs> um so yeah, so started, you know, I was studying overseas, um, was very, very much in my element in the world of theatre and storytelling and, um, and then came back to Australia and my grandmother passed away, who was just my superhero. Um, she meant a lot to many people in my family she was just a divine human being mavis um mum or dad's side mum mum's mum and i found myself sitting there on the day she died on mum's birthday we went to the funeral home and i sat between my mum and my aunties who were all in this fresh shock state and and I hadn't been in that space for so long um, and I was witnessing them going through like it just keeps hitting you again and again but you are forced in the same moment she hadn't even been dead 24 hours and you're being forced to make you're being asked to make decisions about what coffin what what box would you like to put your mother in what box would you like to put her in what kind of handles would you like on that box what hymn do you think accurately depicts her? Like, what what do you think would be fitting? Please choose this, 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 and this. And it is... Meanwhile, you're still even just processing the concept of it. And I'm watching them going, uh, like, oh, my mum's dead. Like, it, it's... You just... There's, there's no space or time given to anything in our culture around death. Yeah. Um, and I just found myself saying... It didn't even really, it just came out of my mouth. But I was like, I asked my aunties and my mum as a gift to them because I could see that they were not coping, but also as a gift to my grandma, would they let me prepare her body? Um, and the gentleman that ran the funeral home happened to have trained at the same place and worked at the same funeral home that I had worked at years before. Um, and he said, that that would be okay if I did want to do that. And long story short, it made such a difference to how people felt 
according to other family members and and the feeling on the day of her funeral there was a joy a real joy present and a lot of my cousins and um aunts came up to me and said that they felt really they felt like a sense of ease uh, like a, it was a special feeling to know that I was the last person to touch her body um that it was kept in the family and that they knew that I was caring for her in those final moments before she was put in in the box <laughs> with the fancy um, handles with the fancy handles um and so I went oh wow maybe that's why I did that all those years ago like Maybe it was just for this moment. And if that is the case, then Oof. that's that's all I needed. Like, yeah. just to give my grandmother that moment. Your family. And my family. Yeah. Um, that was all worthwhile. And then, you know, fast forward a few more years. And I was just going to say, what other family stories do you have? Yeah. <laughs> um, went back to the States. Came back to visit friends and family. Found out that my dad was sick very quickly established that he and my mum were not um, they were finding it challenging to process the diagnosis and what that meant and um, I'm sure this is a very common story for anyone that gets given the cancer diagnosis where they're like you don't get to come back from this and they give you a timeline or they give you a rough guide as to how much time you're likely to have left on this earth. It, it just, you can't think straight. You can't take in information. Um, Can I ask you a question here? Yeah. So as someone who's obviously privy to your story and privy to your family life, your dad very much was a workaholic and loved, loved his work. His work was his life. When he was given this diagnosis, how did it change his um, outlook on how he spent his time? Hmm. He went a little bit manic, <laughs> which I think is a reasonable yeah. response. Like, holy shit, these are all the things that I want to get done in the next 10 months. Like, these are the things that are important to me. So it, it, it shifted his thinking about, like, what would be possible in that time, I think. Yep. Um, About the important relationships around him. Yeah, I think... I think it really shifted the... I, oh, I wish you could ask Dad these questions because yeah. I, I can only make assumptions. I don't know what his experience was. We well, witnessed. I witnessed a what lot did you of... Witness? like. Well, I guess one of the first things after the initial shock was sitting down with him and mum and going, what are the key stresses in in your life? Um, What are the things that we can eliminate so that we can focus your attention and relieve any additional stress that could you know, take you quicker. <laughs> um, and and so it really meant like a, a consolidating of a lot of things. A lot of dad was like, he just loved trying new businesses and like there were so many components to his work life. We talk about this often. So 
Annie's dad was a very big... He was an entrepreneur and well before his time. Yeah. And the impact he had on the community that we live in um, as business owners and as well, women trying to make it in business, we often say that we'd love to just be able to sit down with Annie's dad and yeah. pick his brain. Pick and, his brain. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think... Yeah, the, the, the consolidating was the first big step. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty... That's a grieving in itself. He was... He had dedicated all... Like, from the age of 13, when he left school, he was in his industry from that day. Like, he committed. And he was going to, you know, build a future for himself. Um, and he then went on to build futures for other people because he saw that it was possible and um and to let go of that your life's work i can't imagine how that must feel um or how that felt for him to just suddenly go right there you go Mm -hmm. i'll sell it i'll hand it over Mm -hmm. um but it certainly helped I don't know how we wouldn't have coped with everything um, if we hadn't done that kind of consolidating. But I think that's one of the first like important steps. And I think that's something that ideally we should be talking about before death is on the cards. Mm -hmm. Checking in every couple of years with our loved ones and going like, where am I at? Where, where is my business model at? Like what are the things that are in alignment with, the healthy me and where are the things that maybe I could be eliminating? Cause in the big scheme of things, if I were to be given a sentence right months, now, yeah. what would I immediately go? That actually is not necessary. I, that is energy wasted. This is, you know, like really just checking yeah. in about like what is important yeah. um, or what is of value. Yeah. Um, so I think that was a big step. Um, and I think, you know, he's also a man of the the land He with the religious history. Not that he was religious himself, but we were very much a part of a very religious family, a greater family and community um, where also men don't talk about mental health. You don't talk about feelings. Um, and he was certainly of that generation that he was so, so stoic, so strong, indestructible. So the idea of him being given a death sentence was just mind blowing. Um, so I think he really struggled all the way along to communicate how he was feeling. Um, but I could see it. I could see the shift in even his body language. There was a softening. There was a way of holding his grandchildren that was different to what it was before. Mm-hmm. I haven't really said that before. Yeah, but it was... I could see his giant hands. Yeah. <laughs> the way that he would hold my niece and nephew. Mm-hmm. There was a real feeling that that was him, like, truly holding that moment yeah. with them. So I think that shifted... Yeah. Um, even if he didn't express it out loud, I could see that that was 
playing on his mind all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know. Which kind of comes back to the other conversation. We had a coffee this morning. Annie made a comment. There's a mother that stopped to talk to her child. <laughs> and it was a really trivial question. And the mum was just so present and she there. Really giving him this, this little toddler the space to say what he needed to say. And then give him a real answer and yeah. a, a heard answer. Yeah. Um, and we just made a comment that it's not something that we'd experienced in our childhood. You know, yeah. being heard, being seen. Mm being taken seriously um which is probably the same thing right like you've mm. witnessed this with your niece and nephew and yeah you know yeah having a dad who was dedicated to his work busy busy yeah, yeah it wasn't present a lot for yeah. childhood um yeah. or you know in, and that's another story, story. Yeah, yeah. but like um i think that was that was a big shift in in our family as well like we were all present to this sentence you yeah. know this death sentence yeah it wasn't just him it makes and the grieving has already begun so that was one thing that i that i wasn't anticipating i guess until we were in it, it was like oh i'm already grieving but he's standing right in front of you he's still here um, but you're already grieving because it makes it you you're seeing this person differently you're seeing your situation differently it's really hard to stay present to yes but you're here right now like you, you the grieving has already begun um and it's you're constantly playing out like how long is this like what is it going to look like it's all there um and I don't think there's anything wrong with that but it is you know it's a it's a an important challenge to stay present and just savor that because you know so they gave dad 10 months to live three years on <laughs> so i in the meantime go right i can forget my career this is more say, important you've come back from overseas you were in la yep. you were doing your arts and acting yeah. and all yep. the things dad gets sick come back to australia decide that you're going to spend 10 months with dad yeah, the last 10 months of his life, I wanted to be present for that and to make it the best possible time for him. Like, how how good can we make this for a shitty situation? How can we find and where can we find the good in everything? Um, and that turned into a three-year journey around Australia, looking for treatments, looking for alternative therapies, um and trying to yeah seek out seek out avenues to honor what he wanted and i think that was one of the key things is that like there were some there were things that he instinctually said i i don't want this or i or i do want this and i think that helped that's so helpful you know to give an example the doctors were saying, you know, chemo is a part of your journey now. And he said, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And he was, he felt really strong about it, mm. uh, strongly about it. Um, and so we went, right. If that is what your gut is telling you, then let's seek out other, other options. Um, and, and I think that ended up playing 
a huge part in that in his time the honoring of what feels right for you and your body is really integral in that journey and it sets you up for what I refer to as a good death mm-hmm. um, you if you can honor the space that um, oh, what am I saying honor honor what feels right for you you're on the right path yeah um, you're never gonna know how it's gonna play out um, but it leaves when the time comes the more that that person has had a say in what feels right for them, the better you leave your loved ones feeling after you've transitioned. Um, the things that give my heart peace of a sense of peace uh, are the things that I know that Dad had an opinion on. Like this is this is what I want. When the time comes, this is what I want. Or this is definitely what I don't want. Yeah. Um, and being able to honour that is what makes me feel okay about all the shit that happened as well and all the horrific bits along the way. It balances it out. Um, having autonomy, I think, is really key. So, yeah, so that ended up being a three-year journey. I then was hearing that Dad you know, through his conversations um, that he did not want to die in hospital. That was one of his wishes. And the GP was saying, look, we can't guarantee that because we don't know what's going to happen. But as much as possible, we can try to facilitate that, which ultimately meant myself and my mum and eventually my sister when she was able to come over from interstate um, to to facilitate and and prepare for that at home which is a you know that's no mean feat um creating a palliative ward in your own house um but it was the best the best thing we could have done um because he did get to die at home i was present for it um i got to witness things that were horrific and beautiful can you share the story of the energy when you had realized your dad had passed uh yeah so it had been a very strange night and morning of at this point i was sleeping alongside of we had a hospital bed set up um uh, mum and i were sleeping in the bed alongside of him so that you were literally you don't sleep at that point you're just constantly monitoring what's happening for them and um and so I I had been pretty much awake all night trying to do whatever I could to keep him calm and comfortable and you know, by the more by the time the sun was coming up, it was clear that things were changing in his body very rapidly, and um, I had made the GP aware that it looked like things were changing. Um, I 
fast forward to, I guess, the last dose that I had given him to, uh, I was giving him medicines for all sorts of things um, based on the GP's guidance um, and the palliative team who were on the phone for me to help guide me through it. Um, you know, giving him things according to what symptoms he was showing. And um, I was holding his hand um, whilst we were basically just like bathing his arms, like just giving some relief with, um, with a flannel, wet flannel. And suddenly I realized that there was this silence and I, it took my brain, I don't know how long I had, it, it, that silence had been there where I then realized that he'd already taken his final breath. Um, and then it was just, I was present to this moment of stillness. And there's also like a thing that happens where you can't, you, you, you don't know, you're kind of seeing someone move or maybe they, maybe, maybe that they are breathing, maybe they're not, you can't, it's so, everything becomes so hypersensitive, subtle and hypersensitive. Um, and at some point soon after that, I felt a shift in the energy in his body. Well, I can't, an energy that passed, it's like it passed through my body as it was like heading out the window <laughs> or out the seat. Like just, it was heading everywhere. It was just suddenly it's transforming everywhere. Yeah. It was no longer um, refined to or constrained within his physical vessel. Uh, and I suddenly was experiencing while still holding his hand and looking at him, I was suddenly elsewhere at the same time. And we are surrounded by trees on our property, have gorgeous big old gum trees. Um, and suddenly it was like, I was above us. The two of us, I was above the house and I was also, I don't know, I was kind of above the trees, I guess, but not really. I could just see every single leaf of every single branch of every single tree in our little forest of gum trees down there. Um, like I was seeing every single leaf dance and do its little shimmer at once in detail and I know that's not possible for the human eyes we don't know yeah because we have limited view like this is yeah. all we can see from you know the left peripheral to the right periphery um, but I was seeing it all at once and it was the most beautiful 
oh, beautiful is the wrong word. Um, it was a profound experience um, of a greater understanding, like a, a wave of, oh, I don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> like just an awareness of it's life so much bigger than me. Everything is so yeah. much bigger than me and, and my little brain and my little body cannot comprehend yeah. how enormous and expansive it is. Yeah. Um, and it was also the most incredible sense of comfort that, oh, we're all, we're all just the little leaves dancing on the yeah. trees for a period of time. Yeah. Um, and that it's all happening at once and nothing is greater or lesser in value. It's all just happening at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a real, and I, you know, I thank my dad. Uh, it's a bittersweet gift, but it is the greatest gift I've ever been given to experience that moment without any expectation around it. I, there was no, yeah, there was no plan in my head as to what was going to happen. It was just a moment that, that I experienced and it was like, dad just kind of took me for a moment and swept me up with him as he went everywhere. (laughs) Um, and it literally changed my life. And I suddenly was back in my body, still holding his hand. And I remember thinking, oh my God, all the fucks you've been giving mean zip. Like, these are, these are not, not the fucks to give. Um... It just all flew out the window mm-hmm. and all the things that I'd been concerned about, worried about, pushing for, thinking I had to uphold or strive for, just dissolved. I suddenly realised that it didn't matter what anyone thought because no one will ever no one will ever know your experience or your version of things. But if your heart is in the right place and you are operating from a place of good intent, yes, we're going to fuck up all the time. But if you are coming from a place of good intent and kindness, it doesn't actually matter what anyone else thinks of your choices, your direction. If you are doing what feels right for you, that is the greatest Bible you can have it is the greatest roadmap you can have is just listening to that and it because you know straight away in any choice in your life mm-hmm. if if you stop it in the middle in the middle of like an action or a thought and go what is driving this is it is it like from a place of pure love or is there an intention behind it and it's okay it's okay to acknowledge that there are other intentions behind things, but it sorts you out really quickly in terms of like maybe why you're 
why you feel like you need to pursue this course of action. Um, and it can keep, it can just like be your, your, your compass. Yeah. Can help you keep aiming, facing toward your true north. Yeah. Um, and it's helped me understand that like everyone's just trying their best in any given moment and that best might not look good to you um, in yourself or in someone else. But that is literally what every human is trying to do yeah. is just find their way with the knowledge they have, yeah. with what is available to them. And that might not have been a lot that was available to them. We don't know. And you don't know unless you ask or you investigate or you just hold the space compassionately yeah. as a bypasser, as a bystander, like an interaction you have with a stranger that makes you go like, fuck you, dude. I mean, yeah, sure. We need those two, I think. We do. Yeah. Um, but also just going, you know what? I'm not going to take your yeah. actions personally like that's not about me i don't know your story i don't know where that's come from but i trust that you are doing your best even if that looks like shit in this yeah. moment but you know like yeah it it helps it's really helped me um see things differently and give myself a shitload more space for compassion uh and Talking you know about big d energy big c energy yeah yeah um which is you know all well and good to say like it's a, it doesn't mean i've got it sorted out like it's well, maybe you do like it's, yeah um it's but it, it is it's certainly it's the thing that i wake up with every morning now and there is a moment before i get out of bed every morning where I can lay still enough, even if my mind has already started going like, oh, what am I going to do today? <laughs> I can catch myself and go, no, before you get out of bed, just lie here and feel your heartbeat and feel how that is not in your control. Feel that your heartbeat is doing its thing and that if it's doing its thing, then it's my job to show up that's in my control. The showing up is in my control. My heart beating is not in my control. I am not consciously choosing that. So how lucky I am to be, to be laying there as a human body that's, that's operating right now mm -hmm. and to just be thankful, be grateful in that moment. Cause you don't know when that's going to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, we literally have no clue how many beats of our heart we have left. Mm -mm. Um, and you know, and I very often just probably forget that as soon as I stand up and go, Oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to do today? But, um, it has been, it, yeah, that, that gift that dad gave me has since informed everything um, and has made me take a lot more, I guess, braver 
uh, braver steps, bolder choices. Doesn't stop the terror from being any less real. Um, you know me very well, Mel. You know how terrified most things in life make me. <laughs> it's so funny because Annie's like one of the most vibrant, confident people I know. And then there's little things that come up and she will express some discomfort or some confident issue. And I'm like, what? Like just sometimes like I'm like, oh, she's human. She is, you know, like these little um, things that are like, yeah. oh, there it is. Little things everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, it has, yeah. it's informed everything. And as a result, it has set me on a journey that once again, I could not have predicted. But I am here to hold the space for conversation in Australia and hopefully beyond that as well. Um, but really get, get us as a nation talking about death and grief holding the space for conversation and really like let's crack open what we're why we're so afraid of it why or maybe not even worry too much about the why because there's the why why we've come to be so removed from it that that's there so how we can shift the conversation so that it becomes a part of um our lives before we're given a sentence before it is thrust upon you because you lose someone in a tragic circumstance um before you lose someone who should not have gone because they chose to check out in a moment of darkness where they thought they were doing something to unburden their loved ones we need to be having these conversations way earlier because holding the presence for those conversations when we are living gives us there is an invitation to live life better the more we talk about what our death might look like and how we would like it to look the more you are tapping into the part of your being that knows that this time is finite in this vessel the more tapped in you are to that, I can guarantee you the more joy shows up in your life, the more you appreciate every moment of every day, um, the people in your life, because you, you look at your, I'm looking at you right now going like how extraordinary <laughs> that I get to be, that I get to know you mm -hmm. in this lifetime. And one day that's gonna, that's not gonna be here anymore. All those little things that show up in your life, uh, they shift when you are, when we are prepared and brave enough to hold a conscious awareness of death. And then there's the grief thing, you know, which is a whole other story, but like, it's an important holding the space for grief it is a sacred death is a sacred time in the same way that birth is you know it's the other it's the other bookend um 
and there should be as much ecstatic celebration around as much as there is mourning when someone passes it would be lovely to be tapping into the extraordinariness yeah. <laughs> of that event in the same way that we herald a birth as a miracle you know it's an extraordinary event um so then in that, in the opening of conversations, let's pause for a tea break and then you are going to tell us how we're going to have these conversations and what avenue you have undergone to yeah. allow these conversations to occur. Is yeah. that alright? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, man. And the girls are back. <laughs> yes, that was recorded. <laughs> um, it's such a winter day. It is such a winter day in the brothel. My cold fingers. Um, so mm. we've just finished up with the story about your dad. Yeah. Um, and the importance of conversations around death and grief. Yes. How have you taken this entire experience, mm. your life experience, not just the experience with your dad, mm. um, and turned it into a vessel, as is now going to be the word of the podcast, yeah. for... To allow these conversations to start occurring. I had begun documenting little moments that I was observing in dad's last few months. And then, you know, last few hours, minutes, there were all these things I didn't want to lose. Like I didn't want to forget them. Um, and so I'd been just kind of taking notes little reminders of these little sacred intimate details um and at some point after that i don't know how long it was after he'd passed away probably then like a year or two sometime later um, a, an opportunity, be I became aware of an opportunity that, um, was being presented by Screen Australia, which is our Australian government film body, um, Screen Australia and SBS, our wonderful broadcasting network, uh, they were putting this new initiative together called Digital Originals. And it was basically a call out to new Australian voices, um, new creatives, writers in the film industry um, to submit stories uh, that they would like to see uh, being developed uh, for the potential to be broadcast on SBS. And I had submitted my story that uh, had grown out of my experience of losing dad and all the funny shit that went down before and after and during <laughs> um, his death. And um, uh, yeah, long story short, that was shortlisted as a potential story to be told. How many applicants were in this process? I don't know. Few hundred maybe. Mm 
Um, and then how many people picked as... There were 10 stories um, that had made the, this cut and amazing... They were all far out. They were incredible stories oh, um, from all around Australia and different teams, different creative teams. I was the only one that had applied on my own. Yep. Um I didn't have a producer attached. I didn't have any other creative element attached, mm-hmm. which in itself was terrifying. When I then made that those final ten, I felt like I was out of my depth. I <laughs> um, it was all new to me, and uh, I had to pitch this idea, and um, and I didn't have anyone to back me up. I didn't have a sidekick. Um, you but didn't I, have me at this stage. No, I didn't have you. <laughs> Who would have thought that I would have, you know, even been able to do anything without you in my life, Mel? Um, yeah, so that was terrifying in itself and huge learning curve once again just to show up. I remember, like, the, this was a six-month period of workshops and things like that where we would be flown to Sydney to develop our stories. Um, and then we had to do a final pitch. And I remember just like listening to everyone's stories and watching them do their pitches and being like, these are all so incredible. How, like, why am I here? Like, this is just too overwhelming. And sitting in the hotel room and just going, just don't go, don't, just don't, you can't do this, you're an idiot. (laughs) And then going, the part of me that goes, well, you're in extreme discomfort you know what that usually means is that you're you're on the right track dun, dun, dun. Um, and you know let's just clarify that like some discomfort <laughs> in life in certain areas of our life that is definitely a sign to like say no and go in another direction Absolutely. but um, when you are uncomfortable because you are being asked to show up and be exposed for just being you that is a sign that you need to keep putting one foot in front of the other and you need to show up no matter what happens. And so I did, I did my pitch. I then found out sometime later um, that I was one of three projects that was selected to then go into development with the wonderful people at SBS and with Screen Australia's support. So when did you, what year did you find out that? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like this gigantic blur of a year that is like COVID? Yeah. Like that pandemic year that has no beginning and no end. Yeah. Like just before that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of, it was then. So like, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what time is anymore. Yeah. <laughs> just before that pandemic-y thing happened. Yeah. That I'd found that out. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and scary and exciting. And yeah, that was, it's been like a two year journey of getting that off the ground. Cause it's one thing to be like selected, but then, like I said, I had no one on my team yet. So to find the right producers, yeah. to find the right I feel like this is a whole other episode. Mm, like that, we the could journey, do one on just in 
aligning with your creative collaborators. Yeah. Um, and once again, trusting your gut. Yeah. In terms of who you collaborate with. Yeah. Because it is a big investment. So that's, yeah, it's been the last two years of my life creating a little TV series called called A Beginner's Guide to Grief. And, and it is what genre? It's a dark comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and so all of this work and like you did like it's a ma- it's been a massive process for you in relationships and communication in mm. even in your passion, your arts. Yeah. Also Hopefully we can start to have a conversation, a more comfortable conversation around grief and death. Yeah. So it is really, you know, my mission, the mission behind the series besides just you know, wanting to entertain people and give them something fun to watch. I really want to be starting a greater conversation. It's, it's, it's an invitation to viewers in Australia to reflect on their own lives. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe feel out how that might feel in, in their world, you know, to be going through that stuff. Just get people thinking about what death looks like in their family, what their existing experience is. Maybe you have no experience of it yet. Um, but what that might look like if they have experience with it, what felt not great, what could be done better when that becomes a part of your immediate story again, because it is going to. Um, and, and really shift the the thinking and the approach to how we hold the space for grief for one another in our workplaces. I think that's a huge one. Um, in our friendship circles, um, in our communities, in our communities. Yeah. Um, I remember um, you talk when you quite often talk about your dad, um, that because he was such a big presence in the community you would have people coming up to you all the time that you've never seen before telling you these stories and you were like oh my god I didn't even know this about my dad yeah still happens yeah and so you know allowing these conversations and allowing just holding the space for these conversations to occur yeah um and really observing I think early on just after dad had passed away and being in public, like in a small, a relatively small community where everyone knows everyone, seeing the awkwardness, the presence of this awkwardness, like almost like glowing off of people when you go to the supermarket or, you know, any kind of social environment where people would see you, recognize you, remember oh, they've just lost someone and then just turn their trolley in a different direction and, like, run from the opportunity to talk to them. I mean, Um, we do that in a small town anyway. You decide if you want to talk to this person (laughs) or not. I just want to get my milk (laughs) and I want to get the fuck out out of here. Um, Um, But then, yeah, 
bit wrapped in this co- an emotional tie an emotional conversation to it and it just yeah yeah um yeah just the just the fear i could just see the fear in people's eyes of like not knowing what to say um and then just like there is no win there's no real win like you're gonna feel and sometimes it's the opposite sometimes you have so many people like overwhelming you with like i just want to you know like they just want to be present and they want to show you that they care and sometimes you just feel like actually today i just don't have it in me to have any conversation and just like knowing that you're never gonna know you're never going to so you know what better to if you see someone that you know that has just recently lost somebody or been through something major, if they're, even if it's not death, like if it's a different type of death, a, a loss of some sort, if you know that something is going on for someone, obviously read the room, but like have the courage to say, hey, I know you're going through something big right now. I feel nervous even asking you, are you okay? But are you okay? Sometimes that's all you need to do. Mm. And they might say, yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. But they're not going to go, fuck you, dude. (laughs) You know, just just holding the space and acknowledging it, Mm. I think is so... It's the acknowledgement that this is going on for you and I know that and I'm... I see that sometimes that's enough. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's love. That's showing a form of love. Sometimes that's all you need when you're in a space of grief. You're not intruding on their space, but you're just letting them know, Hey, I know that this is not, this is not a easy time. time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just, it really blew my mind how, how many like weird catchphrases we resort to. Um, uh, you know, I'm really sorry. I, um, I'm trying to think what some of the common ones are. Like, um, I'm so sorry to hear about so-and-so. Um, but at least they're at peace now. That's a really tricky one. Cause that is an opinion. <laughs> I mean, I know this is a different sort of context, but I had that when my last relationship broke down. I'm really sorry to hear about you and such and such. You know, you were so great together. And it was like, were we? (laughs) Do you know how miserable I was in that relationship? Like these just like blanket phrases that we throw on people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and same same for the family. Like, Yeah. And I think maybe it is just about, because once again, it's lovely that you've got, you have the intention. And I think that is, that's more valuable than anything. So if you fuck it up and you say the wrong thing, so be it. Yeah. But sometimes it's just about the way that we word things. And I would rather stumble through saying the wrong thing and acknowledging like I'm, I I can't find the words and I just wish I could make it okay for you. Sometimes that's nicer than being like, (laughs) You know, it's all, you know, you know, it's all going to be okay. Like there's, there's a bigger picture or there's like, you know, it's God's will or whatever. It's like, that's not going to go down well for everybody. 
Because that's, that's an opinion. Yeah. Um, so offering acknowledgement that lets people continue to do their own grieving. You're not imparting your opinion on who God is, where that loved one has gone. Yeah. You are just saying, hey, I see you and I know that this is a hard time. Yeah. And I am thinking of you. Um, I think that's where we can be really helpful to one another. Yeah. Um, Because it can be, it's a very, grief can also be a very isolating experience. Yeah. And it's, it's part of it, you know, because there's an absence in that person's life that's going to be really prevalent for a period of time the absence of that person's energy or that animal's energy, you know, that is with you. And, um, and the isolation is part of that. But to know that maybe if you had been out that day or you, you know, maybe you haven't left the house and you've received a message just to say once again, Hey, I don't have the words the right words to offer to you right now, but I just want you to know that you've been in my thoughts. Um, sometimes that is just, it, they're just like little, like little flotation devices yeah. to keep us bobbing along in a, a big bloody yeah. ocean of <laughs> unpredictable waves. Um, yeah. So I think that is what I'm, that's, these are the conversations that I'm interested in having and interested in sharing with people because I think we have an opportunity to be, to live better lives by being more present to what death is. Cool. I think <laughs> like, I really think it's funny. I was just thinking as I'm watching the time on this podcast roll around I remember like a Joe Rogan podcast. It was like two and a half hours. I'm like, who listens to a two and a half hour podcast? Whereas I'm so enthralled in this conversation. I'm like, we're going to have a two and a half hour podcast. And I think that ending on that note is really important. Mm. So there's definitely going to be a second episode. Um, But yeah. Do you mind if I ask you some curveball questions? Sure. <laughs> Don't ask me about my dating life, please. So, Ali, <laughs> when was the last time? <laughs> okay, I'm really looking forward to this answer. What is your most favourite recent memory? Oh, well, she's <laughs> Louise. <laughs> my, say that again, my... Most... What is one of your favourite recent memories? <sighs> Far out. <laughs> it's so hard when oh you know my... the person because there's so many things that I'm like, this sparked you joy, that sparked you joy. Oh my god, so many things, you know that I'm like say, a, what's the first thing that a comes sparky to mind? joy machine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm just going to say this one because it immediately makes me think of like just the explosions inside of me. It's all right. It's not a sex conversation. Um, 
You've the... mentioned this several times now. I feel like that episode is definitely underway. <laughs> um, I recently got to go, I got to bear witness to an exchange of truly loving vows oh. that blew my brain apart. I, th- this is a couple that I haven't known for like a super long time, but from the moment that I met both of them individually, I was like, you, you were just golden humans in yeah. like, oh, it just, just being in their presence, you cannot leave without feeling better. Like you feel. I can contend with. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and I didn't know what to expect. It's a wedding. There's always like ideas of what a wedding is. Um, and I felt so honored to be invited and to get there and see that it was not about it. This was not a parade. This was not. It was all about the two of them and what is making their hearts beat. Not about what people were wearing, although everyone did look fucking fabulous, including the men. God, everyone was dressed so well. We can't handle men with sad pants, can we? No, (laughs) we cannot. Um, Okay. But the exchange of words between them. And the authenticity in it. It was next level, Mm. and it just gave me hope. It just filled my heart in every possible way and I felt I just could not stop smiling and I have not stopped thinking about the words that they gave to one another on that day and that I got to hear them and it was so sincere and so genuine and they're just like great human beings that have once again informed my life changed my life just bearing witness to that has made me think differently Okay, Spark Joy Machine number two. (laughs) What is the best phrase or piece of slang people in your hometown use? Oh, my hometown? I love this question because, for those of you who don't know the Barossa, it has a lot of German heritage. Yeah. German Lutheran heritage. There's a lot of words that get thrown around. Yeah. (laughs) That... Only someone with a German background would understand. So what's a phrase or piece of slang that we use in this town? Uh, Also, we live in South Australia. And as someone who lives in New South Wales, there are plenty of words that you could use right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if you're looking for like specific Barossa Barossa Deutsch kind of influences, there's there's a shit ton of them. The one one that I can hear Dad always saying... um, when I was a little kid, oh, you Schweinteufel, which is like pig devil. <laughs> oh, you Schweinteufel. Um, um, and just to be clear, like Barossa Deutsch is not German. No, it's it not. is it's its own form it's of like it's hybrid yeah. German English thing. Um, so that was one. Schluck is one that's very that one still very. Um, 
widely used in the Barossa. So if you're having, if you're um, inviting your friends in and you're popping a bottle of wine, you're going to have a schluck with them. A little Which tipple. kind of means just, yeah, tipple. Like a, yeah, a little tipple. Like it's a, just a really quick drink. It's not a, it's not even a whole glass really, is it? <laughs> it's just dismissing it like, yeah. yeah. oh, that, that drink didn't happen. No, exactly. Oh, we'll just have a quick schluck. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, there's some great ones, but yeah, they're, they're the two that come to mind. stick out. Okay, Annie, for your third and final question. That's a terrible drum roll. Did you hear that? That was <laughs> If you were fruit or vegetable, <laughs> which best... Which one best describes you today? Oh, today? Yeah. If I was a fruit or a vegetable, mm. there, there's a lot of options what then. What fruit or vegetable Jeez. best describes you today? <laughs> <laughs> Why? I wish I could film this for you. Do you need to know this? <laughs> oh, God. Definitely more of a, a vegetable day, because I'm not feeling like super sweet and sexy. <laughs> um, I feel like I, um, I don't know why I'm so. I just I feel a bit like a sweet potato, like just very, as in the look of a sweet. Yeah. Just a bit like dimply in weird places and a little bit to the left. Like a little Like you're definitely a substantial vegetable, but <laughs> also really unique, right? Like just a little I mean, weird and you know the thing about sweet potatoes is they're hilarious, right? They like are. you you look at them and you're that no two no two mm. sweet potatoes are the same, Mel. Do you, when you go to the shops and say you're going to buy a sweet potato, do you have any, like... Do I put two round objects next to them because <laughs> there's the phallic thing? Yeah. No, do you, like, are you looking for the weirdest sweet potato? Are you looking for the roundest, the longest? Like, do you have, like, a uh, requirement? I, I tend to go pr- pretty practical. If I'm if mm. I'm looking at it to eat, yep. I'm going to go for a nice bulbous... <laughs> Sweet potato, because it's going to be easier to peel, and I'm going to get maximum choppage. But if I'm just appreciating sweet potatoes, because I'm just appreciating them, mm-hmm. admiring the beauty, I'm looking for the weirdest sweet potato in that tray, because they've all got faces. Like they they're do. all, they've all got character. You know, they've got real character. I think you've chosen a great vegetable. <laughs> I think you have. Okay, if people want to reach out to you and... They can, as long as they ask first, as in we want to make sure that we're getting consent before we reach <laughs> reach out and touch people. With that. Sorry. Um, no, what do you mean? How so if they've listened to this episode, they're going, oh, this, this is a really interesting conversation. How, but I want to know more. Can people reach out to you? Are you open? No. Just, I'm very close. Thank you for listening to this episode. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to put Annie's home address in the show notes. So. 
hey, the I rest of the Barossa, <laughs> if you can't get them from Mel, the rest of the Barossa knows where to go. So just a really quick, creepy story about how Ali and I first oh, yeah. met. So I'm doing my walks of the Barossa. The Barossa is a beautiful place if you've never been here. Um, good for walking good if for you want to come for a stroll. And... I used to send pictures to um, a friend of mine of the way the light fell on certain buildings. Um, And then one day I sent my friend this photo of this beautiful sandstone wall and the the sunlight. The sun just was just the most magnificent colour on it. And about three days later, I got a phone call, an inquiry about... um, some tra- a training client and we had this big long chat and she's explaining to me and I'm like oh yeah I'm in some, the, the, the same town whereabouts do you live and she's explaining where she lives Annie is she by the way and all of a sudden I'm like do you have a big sandstone wall out the front of your house she's like yeah I'm like I took a picture of your house yesterday and sent it to my friend and you literally <laughs> sent me while we were on the phone call you sent me a photo saying, is this your house? And Addie and I had not met at this point. <laughs> it's a very weird thing to receive a photo of your house <laughs> from a stranger. Yeah. Being like, oh, cool. You've got that in your, uh, in your photo bank. bank. Yeah. <laughs> nice um, sunrise bank. Sunrise yeah. I think it was a sunset, actually. Yeah. Um, so, in so not yeah. people rocking up on your front door. Yeah, if you're I'm local, you know where photo. to find me. Um, but can people reach out to you on social media? They absolutely can. Who are you on social media? Good question. I. <laughs> I'll add Annie's. I believe I'm Analux Lindner. Lindner is a great German name. Yeah. That is L I N D N E R. No one ever gets it right. Um, you can find me on social media for sure. Um, and say hello. And if you want to share your stories, I'm always open to that. Annie loves a good story. I love a good story. I love hearing what's going on for people. Um, and hopefully tune into the SBS in the next couple of months. Yes. So off. please keep your eyes peeled for A Beginner's Guide to Grief, which will be on SBS On Demand and on Viceland. Uh, sometime in the coming months. I'm not really like, because I'm, we are still waiting for our actual date. So, uh, if you are listening to this in winter, (laughs) um, sometime in the next three months, hopefully. Yeah, just keep your, uh, or keep listening to Mel and hopefully she'll be giving the show a plug. Um, by then and if you are um, a fan of a brilliant Apple TV show um, that has some beautiful actors in it uh, some beautiful English actors (laughs) um, uh, the show sounds a little like Schmed Masso (laughs) Um, we have a beautiful uh, guest appearance in the show. Um, oh, I was going to try and work that podcast into this. But well, next up. Gorgeous, gorgeous actor, writer, director, comedian, creative genius, and giant hearted man. 
known his skills. I'm sure he would wear good <laughs> pants. To be fair, I've never seen what kind of pants he wears You've because I have pants. <laughs> no, that is definitely not the case. No, uh, I have seen him from the waist up on Zoom, um, but he was just a gorgeous human being and gave a decent amount of his time to my project, which was a very humbling experience and just really I just feel so much gratitude to all the people that worked on the show um yeah so you know if you're a fan of stories good stories please listen to Annie please please watch um and share it if you like it thank you for being here thanks for letting me into your house Mel (laughs) never again (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.